Welcome to Oh No, Ross and Carrie, the show where we don't just report on fringe science, spirituality, and claims of the paranormal, but take part ourselves. Yep, when they make the claims, we show up so you don't have to. I'm Carrie Poppy. And I'm Ross Blotcher. And today we have with us our favorite pagan in the world. And some people might not know what that is and think it's some kind of a pig. Someone from a (laughs) pig planet, a pigan. I didn't think that. I thought that. Firelight. Hi there. It's Firelight from Inciting a Riot, the podcast. Don't worry, you've never heard of me. That's fine. Some people might have heard <laughs> of you. Some people have heard of you, for you, sure. You have one of the most popular pagan podcasts, which is hard to say. It's a particularly popular pagan podcast. <laughs> How prodigious and prolific of you. <laughs> so, tell us a bit about yourself. I go by Firelight. Don't worry, that's not a legal name. And yes, I know how silly it sounds. In in the pagan community, there is sort of this notion that everybody has a magical name. Yes, I get it. We're all rolling our eyes and giggling right now. It's fine. But that sort of came out of the notion of the satanic panic of the 80s and 90s when people were really not wanting to give their real names to protect jobs. And it has served its purpose online so that I can say what I want to say and do what I want to do and not have to worry too terribly much about things like my job, finding out what I do and say and having to worry about answering questions, uncomfortable questions on a religious level, you know, who I am as a religious spiritual person, what I say on my show and and how that pertains to me as a professional individual. So so yeah, the name is Firelight. It's also sort of a send up to some of the sillier names that are out there. Uh, <laughs> if you get to know me at all, don't worry, everybody gets to know my real name. <laughs> you all know my real name. So about five years ago, I created something called Inciting a Riot. It started off as a blog, became a podcast where I discussed everything from paganism to social science, current events, equal rights issues, things like that. So the riot was sort of a blending of all of the things that I really loved to do. I loved investigating, sort of like what you all do, investigating claims, discussing what people believe, why they believe that, and then challenge why they might believe those things. And I've sort of gained uh, a name in my community for being a very incredibly skeptical pagan. <laughs> Which uh, seems to draw fire from time to time. Uh, yeah, yeah it, it does. Yeah, it has drawn the ire of, of the community. But I like to think that in the last five years, I've also helped to foster a conversation of a need for education in our community. And not just our community, but the general spiritual community. And everybody seems to get something out of it. I'm a huge supporter of interfaith dialogue. So just to bring you back a second to something you said a few minutes ago, you said that you adopted your name partly to protect your professional career. Do you think that you face more prejudices in the workplace than maybe someone who is Christian or an unbeliever? The short answer is yes, but the longer answer is because people are not exposed to it. Unfortunately, pagans, if you take all the pagans in the world, people that self-identify as pagan, we number to just under a million people. Oh, um, wow. In the U.S., I think we number like 0.03% of the population. So it's it's a very tiny subsect. Interesting about that is we have an entire aisle over at Barnes & Noble. That's a, true, isn't it? We're a very tiny but kind of Well-represented minority. Very good. Well, I remember when I was in Christianity, uh, kind of my upbringing, I remember pagan just being sort of a blanket term for anything that was not Christian. That is true. 
Um, so what you're describing is far more narrow in definition. The interesting thing, though, is is trying to define the word pagan. That's something that the community has had great issue with. If you ask 10 different pagans, you're probably going to get 15 different answers. If you asked a sociologist, you might get something a little bit more broad, something like a group of people with nature-centric religious and spiritual beliefs, typically encompassing a belief in magic or other sort of spiritual, practical acts, that kind of thing. But beyond that, people as Ross mentioned, get very, very specified in what they mean by pagan. And unfortunately, there is quite a lot of infighting in the very, very tiny community about what that is and uh, making sure that other people know that they are not that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, oh no, you're not pagan because you don't worship X or you're not pagan because you don't believe in Y. And the problem is, you know, we as a community have not decided on a definition for ourselves. So we as a community cannot necessarily ostracize other people that want to adopt that label because we haven't decided what the label means. We haven't figured out an application for that label. Yeah, well, if I may be so bold, I don't think that your community is alone in that. I think, especially in Christianity, you hear a lot of they're not true Christians. The Mormons were big recipients of that. They were always being told they're not true Christians because they had added on to the original text. And even within the non-belief community, there's a fine amount of subdivision and defining other people out of your group. So it's unfortunately a human problem, I'd say. I think so. One of my favorite lessons from getting my, my degree in social science was the idea of the labeling theory, that people need labels until we all develop telepathy and can just sort of mentally divine what we mean by what we say we are. We need labels and we need them to mean things. And unfortunately, that does create create a division. Uh, An article of mine that got quite a bit of attention was the idea of the Zimmel blob. Uh, And the Zimmel blob was a word that I created. It was just sort of an application of what happens when you're trying to define something by what it isn't. Okay, well, I'm a Zimmel blob, so I don't live in a mailbox, and I don't eat rocks, and I don't whatever. The problem is that uh, a lot of times in religious and spiritual groups, we tend to try and define things by what we aren't, rather than attempting to educate both our own community and other people as to what we are, Mm -hmm. which creates a lot of division. It also creates a lot of confusion. A lot of interfaith dialogue cannot happen because we spend so much time trying to tell other people how we're so much different than them. We don't focus on how alike we are. Mm -hmm. I'm confused and surprised to find out that I'm a Zimmelblob. (laughs) (laughs) I've always known that about Ross. Did you uh, pop out of the womb as a pagan or did you come to it from something else? Oh, goodness, no. I grew up in a little tiny town out in East Texas, 585 people population. And don't worry, we had nine Baptist churches. Oh, wow. Yeah. So So are they population 584 now? uh, Yeah, and I guess I didn't replace myself (laughs) because I don't have children. So down there. So tell us about your journey to paganism then from that community. I think it probably began as a lot of people think that a journey into sort of a an air quotes magical existence might begin. I was a great lover of fantasy, uh, science fiction, but I was also a very inquisitive child. I actually just did an article about this on InsidingAriot.com. I was reading Edith Hamilton's mythology and Arthur Cotterell's Encyclopedia of Mythology before I was really reading other age-appropriate books. I wasn't so much the Goosebumps kid as, as much as I was reading The Golden Bough or something. 
as a kid. I grew up with a healthy love of superheroes, both mythological and modern. And as I got older and just started to learn more in school and through my own studies, I I realized, hey, other people believe these things. These are actual beliefs held by cultures, you know, for thousands of years before Christianity was a blink in the earth's eye. Something about it rang true to me. The notion that possibly Christianity wasn't the one and only way to the divine, as, as you might hear some people call it. And so I started exploring books on, on different kinds of religions, different kinds of mythologies, Norse and Greek and Celtic. And, you know, I expanded out from Europe and beyond and uh, really kind of came to a very natural idea of spirituality, more of a reverence of nature, of the natural cycles of things, and of sort of kind of the universe as it is, as a physical being, which is something I don't think a lot of people realize about people that claim to be pagans or claim some kind of nature religion. What they're really worshiping at the end of the day, if I may be so bold, is nature itself. They're, for the most part, not really uh, worshiping some esoteric strange deity out there. We're really just revering nature as it is. You hear in Wicca the idea of the wheel of the year. And all that is, is celebrating the fact that seasons are changing, that the world is is changing. We're going from summer to fall to winter. Hey, that's really cool. Let's have a party. Let's bake some bread and eat some fun food. Totally. And I think one of the big misconceptions is that we're doing something other than that, that it's this belief of the fantasy and not being able to separate those things from what it is that we do. We can well- love those things and we like them and that's great, but... They're not the same. So let me tap you down on that point, because maybe I have a misconception. I can see the pagan belief system being two different things, and maybe they're both or maybe they're neither. But I could see you using the idea of gods and goddesses and these nature spirits and whatnot as just sort of symbols. And then I can also see you actually believing there's something mystical behind that, something that's more than this natural world that you're maybe using those symbols to define but there really is something there. Yeah, I would think that most most of us believe in some kind of divinity. Uh, what form that divinity takes um, means different things to different people. You have people that are hard polytheists. If you study comparative religion, you'll study polytheism and know that it's not just one thing. There's hard polytheism and soft polytheism. Um, but hard polytheists are people that believe that there are gods somewhere mm-hmm. and they are distinct personalities. I don't fall into that category. <laughs> okay. There are people that believe there is something out there, that there is a divine, that there is some some kind of universal energy or creator or creatrix, if you want it to be feminine. Uh, I do. I want it to be feminine. <laughs> Fine. Then there is a creatrix out there just for Ross. Ross just likes that it sounds like dominatrix. I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm learning all kinds of new things about myself today. Now I'm picturing Ross in leather <laughs> and I don't know how I feel about that. And, and and then you have people, uh, you know, I did a really interesting interview with pagans who were also scientists, and I gathered some physical scientists and social scientists, medical scientists. The general consensus that I found from sort of the pagan science aspect of it is sort of exactly what I was referencing, the notion that the earth in and of itself is a sacred thing, not necessarily verifying that there is a deity somewhere in the earth, that it is divine in the sense of what most people might think of as a god, but that in and of itself, earth, its forces, its movements, its changes is divine. And then you have all sorts of spectrums in between. I I think the pagan community's favorite philosopher is Carl Jung, who really perpetuated the, the idea of the divine archetype, 
which mm-hmm. at the end of the day, whether you're talking to a polytheist or any of a number of other theists out there, you get people going back to Carl Jung and the idea of the archetype. Okay, so yeah, there is a divine, but you can get to that divine, so to speak. You can understand that divine as a warrior queen or as a loving father or as, you know, whatever archetype speaks to you. You see these archetypes through myth, over millennia, uh, changing, getting different forms, different names. Like, for example, did you know that Aphrodite used to be a war goddess? That's always fun I did. Yeah, we were aware. (laughs) The ideas of of gods and goddesses change over time. And that's sort of explained through the idea of an archetype. What a culture and a society needed a thousand years ago may not be the same kind of deity that they need today. So those archetypes kind of become a shorthand for something more complicated that takes more time to explain, I guess? Uh, Possibly. You know, I think that in the pagan community, especially whenever there is such an acceptance and a difference of understandings of what God, so to speak, is, you get into a, a really interesting question of, did we create God or did God create us? But in the pagan community, you sort of get that to... Did we create the face of God or, or, or are the gods the faces that we are calling them? Um, there's sort of an acceptance that God, a divinity is there, but the names that we call it, that's sort of the big question and, and kind of an unchanging debate. So along the same lines of whether these things are symbols and whether there's really spirits behind them or not, the reason that we had you on the show in this month in particular is because we were talking to you about pendulum use. And we did an episode on pendulums on our last investigation. And you mentioned that you use a pendulum in your personal life and you love it. But then you also seem to have sort of a nuanced take on whether that's a spiritual phenomenon or a material phenomenon when the pendulum works. Can you tell us more about that? I, I can. I really loved your dousing episode, by the way. I, Aw, think, it, I think it was really Thank fun. You. But I, you know, I've been a fan of yours for years. So <laughs> what I really think a lot of people need to understand about various divinatory practices, pendulums included, is that, at least to my knowledge, most people that use them don't let it be the end-all be-all of their decision-making. And if they do, the rest of our community says, oh my god, you silly little person, please, please go talk to somebody else, get a second opinion. (laughs) Mm, Okay. Uh, We are rational people. (laughs) You know, we don't make medical decisions or financial decisions based on on the flip of a coin or, or the swing of a pendulum. So yeah, I use a pendulum. I definitely break it out at Halloween. We definitely break it out at parties. It's a fun party game. Every now and then I'll play with my pendulum personally (laughs) (laughs) tmi (laughs) we all do do you you find that your pendulum only goes up (laughs) you know my pendulum can go in all directions depending on what i ask it to do oh my god do you find yourself though facing a life decision and thinking this will actually help me kind of make a decision one way or the other or tap into something i know but i'm not fully conscious of how i think divination works is a lot of the way that I think something like magic would work, the idea of a spell, possibly even prayer. It's got a lot more to do with psychology. And what you all hit on at the very end of your episode last time was 
the idea of sort of listening to the instincts that you already have. A lot of divination, tarot in particular, is more about looking at the imagery, looking at the icons on the card, because, you know, there's not one grand universal system of tarot. The artist's interpretation of of the different cards can lend itself to all sorts of different kinds of readings and things like that. But just to, to look at the symbols on the card, to look at the archetypes that are presented, and to see what does that mean to me? How does that speak to me? Some people like to say that there's a little bit more of of a divine presence there, but for the most part, I think we've we've come to more of a consensus in in the air quotes pagan and magical communities that it's much more of a psychological thing than anything else. Something that Carrie mentioned on the last show was the idea of asking a question and seeing it say yes or no and saying, well, you know, that's actually kind of how I was leaning anyways. I think that's how I'm going to go with it. Or, you know, if it's if it's indicating in the negative, should I ask my boss for a raise and it's indicating no and you were really wanting it to say yes and if you sit there and you think about it and you're thinking you know gosh that's probably something that I really shouldn't do right now you know I've only been there two weeks it's probably not a great time to ask for a raise so it sounds like you're in that case tapping into your inner decision maker but not necessarily into an earth force or something like that that's where you're going to get a lot of division I think the answer is yes but I think the answer can be a little bit more complicated. If you were to ask a spiritual person that puts stock in divination, what they would probably say is something along these lines. Everybody has a spark of the divine inside them. Some people call it a soul, some people call it a spirit, an essence, an energy, chi, something. That spark of the divine is part of that greater divine, the deity, universe, God, whatever. And you're sort of tapping into this idea of the... <laughs> You can see my eye roll here a little bit. (laughs) This idea of this pool of infinite knowledge, this sort of perfect knowledge of where you're always going to make the right decision or something like that, where where you already know the answer. People call it the gut instinct. You sort of knew, oh God, I knew I shouldn't have asked him that. Or, oh God, I knew I shouldn't have gone there. Or I knew I shouldn't have done that. You're tapping into that. And somebody that puts a divine aspect to divination would say, that is your higher self talking to you. That is the divine talking to you. So yes, I think, Ross, what you're saying is correct. You're, you're listening to your sort of subconscious, you know, your id, as it were, that sacral or uh, what, what might you call it in another place? Kundalini energy, you know, something very base, <laughs> something very base of you. Uh, coming through and helping you make that decision. But I think the origins of that information would be called into question depending on what kind of spiritual person you're asking. Yeah, well, we're asking you. So what (laughs) (laughs) what would you say? I'm a little bit more like you all. I like to see a whole lot more evidence about something. As far as pendulums go, especially, I, I think it's a lot more psychological than anything. I think the ideomotor effect can have a lot to do with it and that you are tapping into your subconscious, as it were, your gut feeling and that that is what's coming through. You know, again, if you were to ask a pagan person, though, that might be divine in and of itself. Mm-hmm. You know, it's yeah. it's a natural instinct. It's a natural process. You know, so who's to say that that isn't divine in some way, or at least maybe not divine in the sense of it's a god or it's, you know, something supernatural, but it is a sacred act, at least. So to review, your pendulum is basically worthless. Basically. <laughs> it's very fun at parties. Very, Just very kidding. fun Just at parties. Just kidding. After we did our episode, I think the most frequent comment I got from people about dowsing and pendulums is that they use it as a party trick when a woman is pregnant at a baby shower to find out if it's a boy or a girl. 
I mean, for that kind of application where you're actually trying to suss out if something is true or false and predict something about the future, would there be any utility in using a pendulum? That goes into folklore. You know, I think it's fun and I think it's exactly what you're saying. I think it's a party trick. Please go see your doctor. (laughs) Please go see uh, your OBGYN. Don't start buying a whole bunch of blue if you really want it to be a boy and that's what the ring said and and you're going to be super disappointed if you bring home a girl because the ring told you wrong or something. I think that if you're making grand life decisions based on what any kind of psychic or intuitive or diviner told you, you're, you're, you're doing it wrong. (laughs) We, we know enough these days, especially from shows like yours uh, about people that don't necessarily know what they're doing or don't really have much of a respect for you as an individual to give you good information. When somebody comes to you and they ask a question, a good tarot reader might say, you know what, I'm really not getting much today. Mm-hmm. I just, I'm not, I'm sorry. Here's your money. I don't, I don't have much for you today. Of course, there's a huge debate in the, the pagan and magical communities as to whether or not you should actually take money for those kinds of services. Uh, right. A lot of people say you shouldn't. A lot of people mm. <laughs> say you shouldn't. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on, guys. Hang on, guys. Okay, hang on. Okay. Hang on. I want to just real quick talk about the other amazing shows at Maximum Fun. Oh, they've got so many good shows. I know. So, for example, there's Throwing Shade. Oh, yeah. My uh, my personal favorite, if I'm allowed That's to That's one of favorites. your favorite podcasts, period. I think it might be my favorite podcast besides ours. Yeah. I mean, I listen to ours on loop, like on the toilet. I don't know. Do you listen to our show that much? Yes. I know you're here right now recording you're it. You jerk. <laughs> okay. No, I listen to it. Okay. Maybe not every time, but most of the time. Okay, but anyway, throwing shade, you never miss that. Throwing shade, I do not miss an episode of ever, ever. Tell us about it. So it is this very funny show starring Brian Safi and Aaron Gibson. They're both comedians. They're both hilarious. And it's all the news for ladies and gays. I don't know why they didn't say gals and gays. Seems like an oversight, but whatever. Anyway, (laughs) they look at all the news from the week and they look at it from the perspective of a feminist comedian and uh, a gay gentleman comedian. And it's so funny and they're so right on target and they make up shit as they go, which is really hilarious because they just tell you lies for about two quarters of the, for two quarters. Two quarters quarters. or one half, if you prefer. (laughs) (laughs) Always reduce reduce your fractions on (laughs) Oh No, Ross and I do. I tutor math, too, so I really shouldn't have have said that. But anyway, the point is, if you love good stuff, then you'll like this show. But if you hate good stuff, then don't listen to it. MaximumFun.org. So, what if we were to transplant you into the middle of one of these dowsing meetings, as we've described it, what would you tell our friends at the dowsing group? I would want to ask them quite a number of questions. One, I would want to see, again, I think a lot of the kinds of study type parameters that you all want to see. You know, the idea of the double blind study. I mean, you're you're in a building with a whole bunch of water pipes and you're dowsing for water. Ooh, I wonder if you're going to find any. <laughs> I mean, if you turn on a faucet in the bathroom, I mean, come on now. Really? That's crap. Come on. Some of the best podcasts out there. There's a show called New World Witchery, who does a really good job of talking about what happens when things don't work. And good Mm -hmm. podcasters, good bloggers out there, the ones that I truly respect, will talk about what happens when something just doesn't work. And that's what I really wish that I could hear from some of the people that you all have talked to over the years. But one of the big reasons why it's such debate on whether or not you should take money is then there's the expectation of results. 
Sure. Mm-hmm. In the expectation of results, especially if you're trying to make a living off of this, you have to have results every single time. And you're right. just not going to. It's a skill. Is a dancer going to dance the 110% best every single time they dance? Or are they going to fall on occasion when they try a new thing? Is it going to work the first time out? Is a chef going to get the recipe right the first time? Is the chef's recipe going to taste the exact same every single time they make it? In the, the sense of a divinatory skill, it is a skill. It's something that people practice. It has a lot to do with psychology. It has a lot to do with asking good questions, being a good conversationalist, a little bit of therapy, a little bit of psychology. And at the end of the day, I think a pagan or a magical person might say it also has a little bit to do with the divine. I would believe that there is something else attached to it, possibly. I mean, I would say maybe 80% of it is still psychology and being open to asking good questions and presenting, okay, well, here's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing X, Y, and Z. What does this mean to you? Let's figure this out. You know, what do you think you should do? How does this apply to you? And some of the best readers, diviners out there that I've ever seen, that's how they work. They also don't make a living off of their (laughs) skills Mm -hmm. because, you know, they're not all dressed up in the crazy robes and they don't have all the crazy rooms with the crazy posters and all the stones and some of the stuff that you've described in the past. That's sort of portraying a false image of, oh, this is what a psychic looks like and this is how a psychic acts and that kind of thing. And I don't know. I would call those the trappings of awesome. (laughs) I like those bits. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, they're fun. So tell your friends. Tell your friends to get some more purple velvet to hang in their rooms, and maybe I'll go pay them. We do have the crazy stuff on occasion. That's true. Yeah, so we can see Firelight, and our listeners can't. Behind him is a wall of 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, A bunch of creepy masks. 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, I think, masks. Wow. And there's a pentacle down below them. Oh, yeah. There's yeah. a couple of those. I actually don't... I don't know that I've ever actually bought a pentacle for myself. <laughs> Do um, you have your pendulum handy? Can you show it to us? Oh, uh, yeah. Hold on. I'll show you mine. <gasps> this is, oh, you got mine. a gay pendulum. <laughs> is it gay? <laughs> Love it. The rainbow <laughs> stone. snapshot. <laughs> well, okay. A, a gay pagan might say that you got a gay pendulum. Somebody else might say that you got a chakra pendulum. Mine is unfortunately very plain. It's a pizza of amethyst at the end of a silver oh, string. Oh, yeah, yeah. We saw a bunch of that. Like looks that looks a lot like the one I used when I had to borrow one at the mm-hmm. dowsing meeting, the third meeting. I seem to have misplaced mine, which can't be good for my Ross, spiritual Ross, what well-being. I think you would have a lot of fun with, a lot yeah. of fun. And I'm telling you right now, I have used this with approximately 0% success. Oh, wow. Look at that chart. Okay, so this looks like a, it's, it's a like Ouija a Ouija board, board except chart. it's for a pendulum. There right. you go. That's cool. Yeah, and you've got the pentacle in the middle with the zodiac signs around it in a circle, and then all the letters of the alphabet, alphanumeric characters, I should say. We've got yep. numbers as well. Yep. I still want one. What's and it I called? have tried it at many parties, but it is fun. Pendulum board. A pendulum board. Okay. Now, Firelight, we've been friends for quite some time. You found us when we were still a relatively new podcast, what made you interested in our perspective? I discovered Ross and Carrie whenever you first started doing your show. I I mean, I think I discovered it like episode one, maybe. It was pretty early on. But I love love spiritual shows that, that have an interesting angle. You know, for a long time, a lot of spiritual shows just sort of, especially pagan shows, followed a pretty typical formula of reading from Wikipedia and books. But your show uh, was really interesting in the, the fact that it did a lot of what I wanted to do, but 
much more physically. <laughs> he actually, uh, you know, went places and did things. Whereas what a, a lot of the time, what I do on my show is um, sit in a library and read a lot of books and write very long academic sounding papers and present them on my show. <laughs> but I think you've told us there's times when you've wanted to, or maybe you have yelled at the speaker because yeah, there are things that you take exception to it. A little bit. We're interested in that. Tell us about it. I think more so whenever people require payment for their spiritual services, it seems to require results and then lots of crazy explanations for why they're not getting results right now, but why they still deserve your money. Mm, And so a lot of my yelling tends to be, Oh my God, these people don't know what they're talking about. (laughs) And see, you all don't know that, you know, all you know is what they're telling you because you're going out and and honestly asking these questions and expecting that that they know what they're talking about, which they should if they're a professional, right? Well, in many ways, you know, what they're presenting is kind of the public face of these beliefs. Because if you go looking for a dowser, if you go looking for a spiritualist, a medium, these are the people you'll find. Absolutely. And that's one of the things that our community has a lot of problems with. There is a lot of discrimination when, when somebody goes public with who they are. You know, a lot of people are fired and can have very serious ramifications at their job or with other family. I know somebody, I've had her on my show, who is going through... A very terrible custody battle right now and her religion is being used as a reason why her kids should be taken away from her and that's an all too often replicated argument for why somebody is not fit to be in custody of their children why somebody might be a danger to somebody else i i have a criminal justice background i spent um three years in that in, in <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> But no, I spent three years working in the court system, and I distinctly remember sitting in meetings where somebody, because they professed to be a Wiccan, was needing all this extra psychoanalysis because, well, they said they were Wiccan, so that must mean they're crazy and disassociated from reality. So there is still quite a bit of confusion and occlusion as to what a pagan is and the fact that we actually exist and are real people, Mm. you know, with real jobs. I know doctors and lawyers and authors and poets, hi, and all sorts of people that have a nine to five that are pagan that don't want to go so very public because they have quite a bit to lose Yeah, because the community is so small. It's not like they're coming out and representing a secret community of 500 million people or something, or even 5 million people. They're representing a community of a few hundred thousand people spread out amongst a population of over 350 million here in the United States. So chances are you probably do know a pagan, but chances are you will never know that you knew a pagan. (laughs) So it's kind of like being gay 40, 50 years ago. There's a lot of similarities to it. And you will find people of different gender and sexual identities drawn to the pagan community. Maybe they don't adopt the idea of being pagan, but they will sort of become fanboys and hang around because they're a lot more accepting because they have to be Mm -hmm. uh, because they are so small and they understand what it's like to be uh, a minority. So they're much more inclusive spiritual group because it is fairly new. I mean, it's less than 100 years old. Now, that's a really interesting point. Less than 100 years old. But these are also traditions you say that go back before Christianity. And I've always been curious, how do you kind of rationalize that and put that together? What really is the through line that comes from the ancient times to today's paganism? The more academic answer is this. There's a lot of people that want to 
reconstruct pre-Christian practices or non-Christian practices and adapt them or reconstruct them in whole into a modern day setting. Um, you get people, for example, like a Hellenic reconstructionist. A Hellenic reconstructionist is somebody that is attempting to reconstruct how the ancient Greeks worshipped their deities, what their spiritual life may have been like. You can get a Celtic reconstructionist, you know, that's more like uh, your modern druid. There was a woman, and this is a much longer topic than you probably have time for, but just very quickly. A lot of this had to do, and a lot of why the modern pagan movement exists in the form that it does, is because of an Egyptologist named Dr. Margaret Murray, who existed at the turn of the century. She bought into this idea and sort of created the idea out of some really, really, really bad research that she did, and a whole lot of making up, air quotes facts. This idea that all of Europe at one point worshipped a single deity uh, or two deities, depending on who you ask and what research you're looking at, uh, a male and a female where the female took prominence. And that's where you get the idea of covens coming from. She is attributed with the word espat, a spiritual rite that happens on a full moon. She created a lot of the, the mythos that people think of as historically reconstructing some sort of direct line back to pre-Christian Europe. Interesting. Historians like Ronald Hutton kept trying to disprove her, but her ideas became so incredibly popular. I mean, while other people were trying to deny her in these fantastic peer-reviewed journal articles, she was writing best-selling books trying to portray this, so she had a much larger audience. Mm -hmm. Okay. She is where you get a lot of the idea of, uh, have you ever heard of the burning times? The idea that nine million women were burned at the stake for being witches? Right. Which hey, is you've heard of that? An over-exaggeration. Yep, she made that up. <laughs> wow, okay. Pretty much completely made it up. Other historians have said, yes, okay, people died, but the number's probably between 10 and 50,000. Mm -hmm. And that was over a span of a several hundred years. Right. Really, there was uh, a span of time in Germany where the most people died. At least 25% of the people that died were men. And the majority of the reason why people died were political or social reasons and had nothing to do with religion whatsoever. Right. It seems like there was very little actual witchcraft going on and just a lot of persecution of people for other reasons. Right, but my God, that's a boring story, isn't it? Isn't it so much more fun mm -hmm. to think that there's an ancient society of witches living around that are getting persecuted for their incredibly powerful magic? Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. So, <laughs> that's a much better story, and it sells a whole lot more books, and that's what she did. I am giving a very abridged idea of, of who Margaret Murray was and what she has influenced and what she did. There's a whole lot more information out there, so please go search it out. Yeah. Uh, Cool. So what are some of your favorite things about the pagan community? And what are your, your least favorite things? What would you like to see change? I like the pagan community because it's incredibly open. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I think in our best moments, we are good at poking fun at ourselves and they embrace diversity. And my God, it's a community that believes in magic. You go to a, a pagan gathering and you see people walking around and, and reading tarot cards and shopping for wands and looking at books of magic. That's a fun world to live in. Sure. Possibly the thing that I like least is the fact that we sort of issue the idea of academic research. We really shy away from asking questions of why and answering them with anything other than spiritual confirmation bias. That, that's what I've spent the last five years trying to combat, I think. You've said there's anything you'd like to see kind of changed on our show. It's just the treatment of spirituality. 
what would you like to communicate to our audience about spirituality? What I'd like to communicate is about the spiritual community, or at least the people that believe in things like magic or spirits or angels or ghosts or a, a host of other things that you I have either already talked about or probably will talk about at one point is that these are normal, regular people, and they understand how silly some of it can sound. Mm. They fully get that, you know, their practices and their ideas sound a little strange to the public, which is why they're really not that open with them and why they're incredibly skeptical and protective of the people that do decide to be public with them. They're very protective of the people that decide to go public and are very genuine about it. They're also uh, very skeptical of people that really want to make a very loud, brash name for themselves. And we've had them. You know, you have people that are trying to curse Charlie Sheen. And, you know, I had that guy on my show. <laughs> so, you know, we, we get very defensive and very skeptical about the people that are trying to use the name Pagan or trying to use the moniker of, you know, the magical community and try to, to put us behind them to do something kind of crazy or to do something that just makes us look like silly, flippant people that don't know the difference between the mists of Avalon and what a history textbook has to say about the Middle Ages. We're rational people. Um, we're not crazy. Some of the beliefs and words sound crazy only because the media likes to turn them into fantasy TV shows, which are fun, and we love them, and we all watch them. But at the end of the day, we do know the difference between reality and fiction. Great. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank I you. appreciate it. Well, that's it for our show. Our theme music is by Brian Keith Dalton. And our show was produced by Ian Kramer. Look for us online at MaximumFun.org and like us on Facebook. To see the pictures and stuff. If people become regular donors, if they sign up at MaximumFun.org forward slash donate and become recurring members and they pick Ono, Ross and Carrie as their favorite show... And they do that before the end of January in this month of 2014 in the year of our Lord. They will receive a postcard written in the gentle, sweet hand of mine hand and your hand, saying to them a personal message such as which, perhaps, uh, Dear Clyde, thank you so much for your ongoing support. Did you recently rob a bank? Love, Ross and Carrie. And it will have great art on the front and they will put it on their fridge and they will feel like they are the greatest philanthropists to ever contribute to the arts. A brilliant vision of the future. <laughs> but before we go, before we go, Ross, yes. I would love to hear one final word from our guest, Firelight. Firelight. You know, I was just using my pendulum and I predict that Ross is eventually going to get rid of that hideous homeless person beard and his wife is going to be very, very happy with him. <laughs> that is a flawless prediction. It cannot fail. Justin, what are you doing? Uh, strapping a uh, chicken to my arm. Heard there's some uh, plague out west, so I just wanted to, you know, kind of get out ahead of it. Justin, if you'd ever listened to our medical history podcast, Sawbones, where we talk about everything from trepanation to bloodletting, you would know that that is a ridiculous idea and it will never work. Sawbones? I haven't caught it. Sawbones? Yes, it's every Friday on the Maximum Fun Network, and we record it together. A doctor or something? Yes! 
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.